Welcome to the latest edition of Until Saturday, Sunday Sound Off Edition. We are going to talk about whether Georgia's program or team ranks among the all-time teams in the sport. Uh, Caller didn't like David's stern dismissal of Ohio State's ability to compete on a national scale this year. Oh, Um, no. Oh, Mr. Ari's (laughs) too... Too hard on Ohio State. How about that? You you just firmly dismissed them on Saturday night. And was Colorado's season a success? We're going to get into a bunch of voicemails here. We got a lot of voicemails this week. Some really good ones. Well, they're all really good. It's hard to pick. We appreciate your participation. Uh, I'm Ari Wasserman. I'm joined by David Oven, the Ohio State dismisser, and mm-hmm. Austin Meek, the Michigan beat writer, which is the perfect cocktail on Sunday leading into rivalry weekend. <laughs> um, we are going to have some fun with this. Austin, forgive me in advance. I'm going to have to waterboard you with some Michigan questions about what it's like to be in Ann Arbor right now. Uh, but first, let me formally introduce the show. Um, this is the Sunday Sound Off episode, the grab-ass of Al grab-ass versions of the show, where we wind down on Sunday, react to what we saw on Saturday, and, and get your reactions, too. Um, to make sure you comment, like, and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're here with us live now. We really appreciate it if you're listening to this on Monday make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's going to be a lot of live videos this month with the playoff reveal and all that stuff. We are live Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's going to be a few extra bonus episodes here with Michigan stuff and college football playoff reveals and debates. Be sure you're on the YouTube channel to get it first. And also be sure to subscribe to the podcast channel if you're here watching it on YouTube where you can be notified when they are new. And if you want to be a part of the show on Sunday Sound Off. The phone number is 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. Call in, leave a voicemail, and we're likely to choose uh, you because we want to hear from you. We want to hear your voice. Also, you can text that line, but texts aren't as entertaining as funny, passionate phone calls from the stadium. And, And lastly, make sure you're signed up for the Until Saturday newsletter from The Athletic where you'll get your daily fill of college football news right into your inbox. You do not have to be subscribed to the athletic in order to get that newsletter. But uh, if you're not, that's crazy. And if you get it and you're not, you probably will. Uh, I think that's it. So why don't we just uh, get right into it, Austin? What is your life like right now? You know, I think if I was going to like pitch a movie about like a crazy college football scandal and I like wrote this script I think they would like laugh me out of the room and be like, that is way too like on the nose for a college football scandal, right? Like Jim Harbaugh suspended mysterious booster named uncle T uh, Connor stallions, you know, former Marine going rogue, setting up a, a scouting, uh, a scouting ring. Like all we of call this. that reconnaissance like, Austin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> espionage. It's like, it's a fever dream from a message board. Uh, and I'm like living through it. And it's it just keeps going on and on and on and on, <laughs> and we're like a month into this thing now, and and the end isn't even in sight. So it's it's just been crazy. I just like would love to know what the tenor is in Ann Arbor. Like, what's it like doing your job right now? I mean, are you motivated? Are you beaten down? You know, I've covered a few scandals in my life, and it, it's tough. It's it's a lot of work, but this is also mildly entertaining too. It's not yeah. as serious as some other scandals as it pertains to real life and death, fel- uh, you know, felonies that have been committed at other places. I just, are you just like beaten down or are you kind of energized by this whole thing? 
I mean, I do think you definitely have to have a sense of humor about the whole thing. Like, it is objectively funny <laughs> that the yeah. guy has like two dozen vacuums on his porch. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, you gotta like you gotta step back and laugh. I mean, some of it's serious. I mean, you know, Chris Partridge just got fired on Friday. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. that's that's not a necessarily a laughing matter. Um, but some of it is definitely like y- yes, almost satirical. Um, it it's a grind. Like, I. I I'm going to be honest with you, like I'm exhausted, but it's also, I mean, it, um, it has been, um, energizing in a way, I guess, to like, just watch this thing unfold because it's just, I've never, I've never covered a story like this. I've never seen a story like this. Uh, it, I doubt that, you know, I could do this job for another 50 years. I probably would never have another story quite like this one. So it's, it's been, you know, to be in the middle of it has been, has been, um, interesting <laughs> to say the least and, and exhausting, but, um, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Thanks for checking in with me. I appreciate it. How many times have you said or written the words low level staffer in the last six weeks? <laughs> yeah, I've got a few, I've got a few phrases that are like permanently uh, burned into my, into my brain, low level staffer, uh, <laughs> in-person scouting and sign stealing scheme. I've typed that exact sequence of words more times <laughs> than I want to imagine. Uh, yeah. Well, let me just ask you one serious one, and then we're going to get into the first uh, contact. I think it's a text, not a voicemail, but it's Michigan related, and it'll be a nice way to kick off the show. But what is your actual? Um, I don't know if prediction is the right word, but what is your understanding of the seriousness of this moving forward um, as it pertains to Jim Harbaugh and that program? Like, are you in like wait and see mode, or are you in Michigan's in deep shit mode? Like, what? Where are you at with with where things are with the program through your reporting and your understanding of the situation? I think it's probably more to the latter, Ari. I <laughs> I think the twenty twenty four season for Michigan could uh, could be a rough one based on uh, what what we anticipate might happen. I mean, you know, Michigan was already in hot water with the NCAA. There was a possibility that Jim Harbaugh was going to be suspended. You know, as a result of the previous investigation, even before any of this came out. So I have to imagine uh, the NCAA is going to hit Michigan with everything they have. And, you know, will Jim Harbaugh even be the coach at Michigan next year? Who knows uh, if he is the coach? How many games will he coach? Don't know the answer to that. But, um, you know, I saw Bruce on TV this weekend. You know, the potential of, of Harbaugh missing a significant chunk of the 2024 season if he is back at Michigan, I think is certainly an outcome that um, that could happen here because, uh, yeah, the NCAA seems to have a lot of dirt on Michigan right now. Um, and, you know, it it is, yeah, you have to really like stumble your way into it to be in a situation where the NCAA can like really hammer you these days. Uh, but somehow it seems like Michigan actually managed to do that and could actually get hammered because of this. Yeah, and their their t- their schedule is really tough, guys. I don't know if you've, yeah. I'm sure you've taken a look at it. And you know, I I think that it's interesting, and I wonder if if Jim Harbaugh is just going to be finished there. Um, but I think that's a good segue to the first question. We've got a pretty big game coming up, and I would like to talk about the game a little bit. So why don't we get to this first question uh, via Caleb, aka Tony Perkis, aka aka Uncle T from Michigan. Um, <laughs> Come here, you devil log. Do I try to read it in the Tony Perkis's voice? I'd be into that. I mm. I would like a Tony Perkis. Attention, if you, campers. If your, Lunch if has your been impression today. is bad, I'll stop you halfway through and say go back to Ari. So let's hear get on the scale. Get off the scale. 
Attent liposuction, option or obsession? As a Michigan fan, I have to disagree with Ari's take from Saturday night that winning a title this year would be somehow reduced in value. In my opinion, it enhances the value if Michigan beats Ohio State with an acting coach and removes all advantage talk from the previous two years. At that point, what other excuses would Ohio State and the national media have? If Ryan Day loses to Michigan without Harbaugh and with his entire scandal swirling, it has to end his time there, which would be incredibly disappointing. Because of this, I think this game is the most consequential in program history. When when this game and a lot of the noise probably starts to go away for a minute, although in it's clear some NCAA punishment will eventually come, but could be muted by the lack of competitive advantage talk of Michigan wins without all of the above. Lose this game and it doubles down the idea that the sign stealing was a huge advantage and probably kickstart the punishment mitigation process. Harbon gone, potentially possible self-imposed bowl ban, etc. Um, that's kind of an interesting take, I guess. Um, I don't know. Do you buy, either one of you, do you buy the notion that if Michigan wins out, that it somehow proves that it wasn't a big deal? Like, is that a thing? It helps. I don't know that it proves. I think it it it, it relatively effectively stiff arms the idea that Michigan was only good the last two years because they had everyone's signs. Yeah. Whether or not that's reality, I don't know. But perception is reality in this this whole Rorschach test of a controversy in a lot of ways. So I think that if you went out after all this happens, the idea that, oh, Michigan was only good because of the sign-stealing stuff, it doesn't hold a ton of water with most people. Yeah, I, I mean, it's clear Michigan benefited from it. My personal take is that it was probably like a marginal benefit as opposed to the difference between being you know 11 and 1 and 8 and 4. Uh, most of Michigan's games that they've had during this winning streak in the Big Ten have been blowouts. I don't think that they would have lost a lot of those games if they didn't have the signs, but but they clearly benefited from it. I also think, like, I don't really think it matters that much in terms of, um, you know, the the legacy or, you know, how people talk about the scandal. Like, you know, whether they benefited from it or not, like, they clearly did it. To me, that's you know, it was an egregious violation of, of the rule. You know, they they flagrantly broke a rule uh, that, you know, everybody knows is on the books. And so whether they had a huge advantage from it or not, like, I, I think that, you know, they're going to have to like, they're going to have to live with the fact that they broke the rule and they're probably going to get punished for it. Yeah, I don't know that I thought my comments were predicated on whether or not this was a big deal. My notion is, this team is now labeled with the scarlet letter of cheating. And even if they win out and win the national championship this year, the notion of doing it the right way completely and the pure euphoria that a program and its fans gets from winning a national championship would be a little bit cloudier because of everything that's happening here. And I think that if you ask a Michigan fan who's been waiting, uh, since 1997 to win a national championship what their their hope was is that Michigan program does things the right way they are the you know golden standard of adhering to and following NCAA rules and they were able to win a national championship as a result or even being compromised uh competitively because of that so when you remove that Michigan man standard I don't know if it has to do with whether or not the signs were the whole reason they won more so than 
Michigan is just like everybody else, and everybody will always respond with they cheated, even if it didn't really matter that much. So um, I do think that Michigan's a very good football team. I don't think that Michigan has only been good as a result of this, but to act like winning unequivocally proves that there was no wrongdoing or that everything is fine, um, I think is wrong. Yeah. All right, if Michigan wins the rest of their games, the Michigan fan base is going to be like off the charts, obnoxious. <laughs> like the narrative is going to be, we overcame everything that was thrown at us this year. Our coach was suspended. Everybody was out to get us. We won anyway. Um, I don't think if you ask a Michigan fan, they would feel that it was in any way tainted. I, if anything, I think a Michigan fan, if they win, would be like, it would be even sweeter because they would feel like, you know, in their minds, there was this concerted effort to bring down Michigan and it didn't work. Now, everybody else in the rest of the sport, I think, would look at Michigan and say, at least it is to some degree tarnished by by what happened. But I'm not sure Michigan fans would, would look at it that well, way. Well, I think the sweetest part about winning a national championship, and Dave, weigh in here if you think I'm crazy, is at the end of the run, when you win a national championship and actually climb the mountaintop and get there, the tip of the cap from everybody else to say, hey, you know what? That was mm-hmm. it this year. You know, like Georgia has gotten to a point now uh, where people look at them as a bigger, larger than life figure as a result of their excellence. And part of winning the championship is everybody acknowledging and uh, touting you as the best. And I don't think that that would happen. So that is, you know, this is a complex situation. And I'm certainly not shocked to hear that Michigan fans would receive that information and that achievement differently than people on the outsider. I mean, that's the entire way this case is going right now, but I just, there's something about just being an undisputed champion, whether it be boxing or college football. And people are just like, imagine being like Michigan won the championship this year. Yay. Tweeting that out. And then have like 900 replies saying they cheated. Like it takes the fun away from it. Like, have you ever played basketball with another five-year-old when you were five and then you win and they go, I let you win. Like there's a sweetness to winning and that I think tarnishes it, but you know what? It's not my championship. So I, I mean, I can't tell you how to feel about it. I think the uniqueness of college football in general is, you know, the tournament comes along and you've seen a lot of times like a champion sort of get their eyes, you know, people roll their eyes at them. Well, you had a really easy road to the championship. You know, you ha- you played a 15 seed, and then there were a couple upside upsets. You played a couple double digit seeds. You know, you had an easy region, all this stuff. You know, you were only a six seed. You weren't actually that good. Whatever. In college football, especially in the playoff era, I think maybe it happened a little more in the BCS era when you had people that were mad that they got left out. But in the playoff era, all right, I can't think of a single champion that people had that reaction to of, of that anyone in the country would delegitimize them as a champion. Can, am I missing in somebody? Any way. Cause I don't, it's yeah. not even just about being way. good. Um, it's about, I mean, yeah, if you win your conference, usually that's in your playoff, you usually a conference winner, you win a semifinal mm-hmm. game and you win the national championship. That's, that's more it. than enough of a test. Like, I don't care mm-hmm. if you play in the worst conference in America, if you win your conference and then beat another really good team in the semifinal and then beat the monster waiting for you, um, in the national championship, if you didn't already face them, like if TCU would have won the game last year, nobody would have been like TCU sucks. They don't deserve it. They played in the crappy Big Twelve. That would yeah. be asinine. 
They they beat Michigan and they beat Georgia on the way. What else? What more proof would you need on the biggest stage? That said, this is the first time in the playoff era that we've had a team under a current NCAA investigation participate in the in the thing at all. Am I forgetting anybody? Like nobody's been under active NCAA investigation in January while the games were being played, did they? I mean, I don't think there's ever I'm been a situation sure. like this in NCAA ever. history, like an yeah. investigation unfolding like in real time. Like they're trying to finish this investigation this year. The closest thing is, yeah, Kansas, yeah, yeah, for that's, sure. yeah. But that's different, and I don't, I don't think anybody cares about that stuff. For the record, I want to ask two things because I think we have to acknowledge the other side of the rivalry. Um, Ryan Day would be in really bad shape if he he loses without. Um, Harbaugh on the sideline, I think to lose three in a row, um, to lose in this atmosphere. This is maybe the biggest game in rivalry history, or certainly the biggest game. It feels like, uh, since Oh six. And it's the first time they're both undefeated since that year. Like, what do you guys think about Ryan day's position in this sport? If he un- finds a way to, to lose this one. I mean, I think I, I get the frustration. I would be frustrated if I was Ryan Day, that none of my other 45 wins or whatever people seem to care about at all. I get it. I'm not even necessarily saying it's wrong. I thought the people who wanted to get rid of him last year, I disagree, but I don't think you're crazy. But if I'm sitting in Ryan Day's chair, I'm sitting there looking around being like, really? It's all about one game? Like You know it technically is, but you've You've been pretty good. You've been the class of the sport. And again, Ari, as I've brought up on this show many times. You can't times, talk like that during rivalry week. I'll punch you into the Ari, sun. Ari, I'm just saying. <laughs> what are you talking Ari, about? Ari, in the same breath. It's the only I thing people that. care about, dude. Nobody cares about Ari. how many times he beat Purdue. No one cares. Ari. Anybody Ari. can beat Purdue. I could beat Purdue if I were the coach. Ari, it's answer not, me this question. Answer me this question. Just on the this Ryan is the Day week situation. for that take. I hate that take. Ari, was Ohio State or was Ohio State not a long field goal away from winning a national championship. Sure. But don't throw his record in people's faces and pretend like they're irrational I'm not trying for being to, upset I'm not that to, they're losing the I'm rivalry I'm not trying game. to say that. I'm not they're trying like to say that. They're like 27-point favorites saying, in every game they play. It's not like... Ari, if you, were, if you were Ryan Day and you had done what he had done and you had come a field goal away from literally winning a national championship His perspective and ago, how people receive it are different. Like, anybody's perspective is self-serving. But that's what we're talking about. That's You're hiring at Ohio State to win the game, though. It's just not, this isn't like uh, I know. Well, he's. I think Urban Meyer was actually like 500 in games against teams with equitable talent, and his record was what like nine, like 92 and seven or something like that. I don't know. It was something crazy, but I think that he was like seven and seven or six and eight in games against teams that were as good as them, mm-hmm. like that. Like beating Rutgers and all these wins are meaningless. Like anybody could do that. It's what you do in this game that sets the tone for what this game is. I'll say this. Again, Ari, they lose were they not game, a field goal away from winning a national title last year? Yeah, I know. But it's just okay, like, if they right. won the national championship, then maybe it would be a different discussion, but they didn't. Right. So I, mean, I just like that. Like during rivalry week, the he was been really good. Take. Ari, is just I, don't cha- I, Ari, I don't change my takes based on the calendar. I'm sorry. What do you think that Austin, people, are, you people are listening to the show ready to run through a wall and you coming out here with this like. He's been really good in the Big Ten crap. No one cares about that. They care about this. This is the whole thing that people that people care about. It's the I reason they show apolog- up for the Purdue game. Ari, I will not apologize for my level-headed perspective. <laughs> There's no room for level-headed perspective during Rivalry Week. Go ahead, Austin. Yeah. So I was just going to say, 
it'll be rough for Ryan Day if he loses this game, really rough. You ask me which program is set up for success like 2024 and beyond. Like my message if I'm Ryan Day, if he loses this game, like look at what we have coming back next year. Look at what Michigan is going to be next year. Like even if it doesn't flip this year, like I think that Ohio State, you know, is in position to flip this thing next year uh, just based on what's coming for Michigan because this Michigan program is going to look a lot different next year. I, you know, a penny's a penny, a nickel is a nickel, and a silver dollar is a silver dollar, guys. I don't think that all rivalry wins are created equally either. Like, you want to get the wins in the games that matter. Or you have sides. too much Ohio State fan brain in your, in your brain. I, I, they, <laughs> you don't think there, that, like, winning the games, if, if Michigan is 5-5 five and five or 5-6 five and six next year and he wins that game, you think that's just going to make up for the fact that he lost two games or three games in a row when their no, team was but, in the uh, prime position to win the national championship? That's crazy. Ari, I said, I said this. I wrote about this actually two years ago um, in the wake of Michigan rallying and, and looking like a – you know, the revenge tour that they went on in, in 2021 coming off of the two and four COVID season. I went back and looked at the last 20 programs that fired a good coach trying to find a great coach. And I forget exactly what the numbers were, but it was like three succeeded, four paid a bunch of money for the same results, and 13 made their program worse. Now we'll and apply I that think, case study to Ohio State because they did that once and it turned into 10 and, what is that, 9 I know that. Yeah. I know that. But Ari, is it really, like, you You watched what happened at Texas A&M. You've watched what happens, what's happened at Texas in the Big 12. You've watched Oklahoma go 6-7, and seven, and now they're struggling post-Lincoln Rally. Do you really think that there's no chance, there's no risk in firing Ryan Day and going I didn't say him. there was no risk. I'm, I okay. don't even know that I think that he would deserve to keep his job if they lost three years in a row. That's not what I'm saying. I'm dismissing your notion that giving Ohio State the sweetest memories they could possibly have in the biggest game in the rivalry's existence is worth more than beating them next year. Like, they want it when I they need it. I don't disagree with like you. That, but at some point, if you're talking about making a big change and up and hitting the giant reset button on your program, you have to do a more wholesale appraisal and say, you know what? We were one kick away from winning a national championship next year may, or last year. Maybe this coach is okay. Maybe we'll be okay. Yeah, well, I think that Gene Smith is a level-headed athletic director and wouldn't fire Let's him, hope. But he's retiring. <laughs> so who knows what's going on next year? And, uh, you know, but it is, it's an interesting discussion Hire point. somebody and, from the message boards. Let's go. You Let's know, fire honestly, if Ohio State loses on Saturday, you can write a column about how this is fine and you need to care about his whole thing and see how that goes for you. Um, <laughs> anything that we're forgetting, Austin? No, I think you guys covered it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's get to the next voicemail. Yeah, that, I'm gonna, you write that now, Dave. We'll see how it goes. They want blood <laughs> after it. They don't want to hear how, how rational he is. This is Bill. Uh, Longhorn fan, hook him. Won a game last night that we historically would have lost in recent regimes. Got to keep going. With that said, we are going to get blocked out of the playoffs. There is no scenario in the world where Georgia gets left out. So that's one position locked down. And I'll be really interested to see, after Michigan and Ohio State, if the great loss scenario comes into play. Because that's what Oregon's been riding all year. If Georgia loses by some act, to Alabama, they both get in. There's no way Georgia gets left out. 
and there's no way an SEC champion Alabama gets left out. Love the podcast. Listen to y'all every Sunday morning. Love the recap show. Hook them. Bill, look for us on the YouTube channel, too. There's no way Georgia gets left out. I've got a pretty simple way to get left out. That's losing in Atlanta yeah, two lose. weeks. Yep. Um, so if you're a Texas fan, let's break the Texas thing down. Texas wins out. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Do we trust them? I trust them. Do you trust them? I trust them. All right. I, it, this um, is pretty simple, I think. It's pretty simple for me. Um, basically, it would help them a lot if Florida State would lose. That would be the biggest thing. And if Georgia just wins in Atlanta, if one of those two things happen, Georgia's in. Yeah. The the discussion point, and I'm going to ask Austin this, um, is if Chalk holds, right? Let's say Georgia wins out and it knocks Alabama out. They're automatically in. But let's say Alabama beats Georgia. This is when it gets tricky. And Washington wins the Pac-12, or regardless of who wins the Pac-12. Let's just say Washington, because unbeatens don't get left out. Mm-hmm. And then you have Florida State sitting there undefeated with a hobbled quarterback. And then you have Ohio State or Michigan at the end of the road as an unbeaten Big Ten champ. Then you have the debate. This is the Texas danger zone, which is... um. One final spot, you've got three unbeaten Power 5 champions, and you're being directly compared to a one-loss SEC champion with a win over Georgia in in Atlanta. That Does be- Tech that – you think that – Austin, who gets in in that scenario? I think when Alabama – I, I, I kind of I thought See? this could be 2021 all over again. <laughs> Lean back. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that was 2021, right? Uh, Alabama upsets Georgia. They both get in. Um I I mean, to me, the loser of the Michigan Ohio State game is out. I don't think right. yes. I, agree I don't with think you. they're getting it. I, I great loss, but I don't think there's too many good options. Yeah. Right? Yeah, maybe in another. You know, last year that worked, but not this year. Right. Uh, it's a playoff so, game. Yeah, Texas has got a uh, Texas has got a hope that the SEC, uh, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 get one team, and then Texas has just got to jump over. Florida State. I mean, that's their path, right? Who well, Florida State's got to win out. Well, you know, let me no ask you. There's no guarantee you beat Florida, and there's no guarantee that you beat Louisville. This is the scenario here. This is the disaster scenario because I think Texas, if they win out, should be in. But if it plays out this way, where Washington wins the Pac-12 as an unbeaten champ, Ohio State or Michigan is unbeaten in the Big Ten, and Florida mm-hmm. State wins the ACC because I still think they could beat Louisville with their backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like they this can. shouldn't be some sort. So you have those three unbeaten champs. And then it comes down to a one-loss Alabama team with a win over Georgia in the state of Georgia and Texas who beat Alabama on the road. For that last spot, you're comparing Texas directly to Alabama. They're both conference champions. You have the head-to-head win in Texas' side, but you have Alabama with the best win in the sport that year and an SEC championship. What wins? The SEC championship and the best win? Or the fact that Texas went on the road and beat Alabama. I kind of think you're looking question. at this the wrong way. I think you're looking at this the wrong way. I think the debate, if that happens, Ari, actually comes down to Texas and Georgia. And Georgia, their resume has... What are you talking about? A- listen, listen, listen again. I think you missed yes. it. Washington's no. un- unbeaten. Al- yes, yes. They're in. Ohio State or Michigan's unbeaten. They're in. Florida State mm-hmm. is unbeaten. They're in. There's one spot left for the the SEC champion, Alabama, yes. and Texas. It's down to those two because unbeatens are getting in. Yes. Who gets in, Alabama or Texas? If they're both one-loss champions, that's the question. Because I in think that that's scenario, the disaster you're right. scenario. Okay. In that scenario, probably Alabama. 
And then people will go berserk. And like, I think I would go berserk too, because I'm Mr. Regular season matters. <laughs> and yeah. like, I, I think in my heart, I would feel that Alabama would be the right choice because Alabama beat Georgia and won the sec. But then they lost to the other team that they're being compared to. Like it is, but yeah. that is like disaster scenario. And that would make me yes. write the column. There should be a 12 team playoff. But I think yeah. Texas would, even if Texas isn't as good as Alabama anymore, it doesn't matter. They beat them on the road. It was even at home. Yeah. They were on the road. Austin, who do you pick? Who, who deserves to go? I'd pick Bama. <laughs> you savage. I love that about you. <laughs> Four <laughs> best teams. <laughs> what do you think the committee would do? That's a different question. I think they'd take Bama. I, I think, think they'd take they're, Bama. Only, there's only one spot separating these two teams. And if you go and beat Georgia, that's enough to leapfrog it. If Texas had another top 10 opponent waiting for them in Arlington, which I'm not sure that they will, then they could maybe hold off. But I don't, they don't, they're not going to have the resume making win at the very end, the grand finale. That, that Alabama will. Yeah. Recency bias. That them. win against Georgia would. would I don't disagree with you, Ari. But I literally beat them on the road. <laughs> I know. I don't care if Alabama got better. I don't care if Texas got worse. <laughs> it's between two teams they played and one lost. But you have yeah. to remember, we've done the committee. You've done the committee mock exercise, right? I have. The head to head battle isn't. It's not as cut and dry. It is a bullet point. It is a criteria that is used to break a tie. So if they think that Alabama is better and it never gets to the criteria where they need a tiebreaker, then Alabama would go. I think Alabama would be in. I don't think there's a world that exists out there in this universe where a one loss SEC champion with a win over Georgia in the state of Georgia is left out of the playoff. So Texas needs to hope that Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. Okay, next question. Hi, until Saturday crew. It's Bing from Denver, Colorado. It just seems like the media has really readjusted the goalposts on what has happened. I mean, everyone was saying below, taking the under on Vegas, under three and a half, under three and a half. And I mean, they broke that. And obviously, momentum has gone down. But over the last, you know, six games or so since the second half of the Stanford game. But overall, this season is still a success and trajectory of the program is still up. Obviously, the first three games, since they won those, you know, everyone then kind of readjusted their expectations, and probably CU fans did too. I'd say it's unfair for everyone dancing on their grave now that uh, no one expected them to do four games, and, you know, it's recency bias to say that they uh, haven't done well this season at all. So, um, I think if you would have sprinkled in Colorado's wins as like week one week four week seven and week 11 that we would be digesting the season differently i think that the hype that was created at the beginning by the winning streak caused a tidal wave of content and interest and then they fell flat if they would have just been a fun team to watch that lost a bunch of close games and won every now and then that our perception of it would be different but uh, i want both of your opinions dave we'll start with you since you're the beat writer um was Colorado's season a success in your mind, and how do people? How should people digest what they did this year? Yes, it was a success. For one, you improved. Uh, you rebuilt a roster, and in the midst of a lot of skepticism, like I said, you you beat your Vegas over under win total, which 
it's not everything, but it's a decent temperature. Um, you're over that already, despite being a 18 point underdog to Utah this week. But I think where you're really um, one here is all right. This is still a business. You want to win, but this is still a business. And Colorado made so much money this year. And so if you want to call it a success, you could measure that by a number of measures. But you got an unprecedented amount of relevance for Well, your it's program. not even a debate about whether or not the athletic director won. Well, like it's not about the athletic director. Well, it's not about the, the program. I mean, you have to you have to parlay that that relevance into actual success in bringing dudes to your campus. Now, his his high school recruiting has been, I would even say, bad. Yeah. But portal season is coming, and that is where Dion thrives. That is what he did last year. I think you, if you, I wrote this column earlier this year. If you think you're going to try to build your lines that way. I think you got another thing coming. There's not dudes there, and you can't do that overnight. And if you're just going to flush both of your lines and just get new guys like he literally said he was going to do, that's not going to work in terms of building your program. But this year, to beat your way over-under, to have the relevance, to build a brand-new scoreboard, make all the money in a place that, that wasn't exactly flush with cash, and do some of this without the help of a collective, you've done pretty well. Austin, based on the hype of what Colorado could have been or what you know ex- people expected out of Dion, do you perceive this to be a successful season for them? I do. Yeah, I, I think there's like some proof of concept now with Dion that it can work. Um, they had that stretch of games where I was awake at two in the morning watching Colorado, Colorado State, and I yeah, never would were. have done that. I never would have done that before. I, I mean, the, I think the worry for Colorado is did Dion do well enough to get another job, but not well enough to get him to a bowl game? Like, you know, it, did he do well enough basically to be, you know, to be now a guy that other schools are going to come after? Did he show enough this year that another school would want to take the risk on him? Uh, or are they going to want to see like, what does year two look like? I think the question that you have to ask if you're another school and you are serious about who want to reach out to Dion. The wins obviously aren't there uh, in terms of, you know, um, you're hiring a winner. But are you in a similar situation where, hey, we need a, a relevance bump. We need to get some excitement into our program. We know our program has flatlined. Nobody does that like Dion. Now, I don't think he'll go anywhere this year. I think the list of programs that will want to pursue him is small. And I think the combination of, you know, I, I believe Shador can get his degree and and graduate transfer somewhere uh, else, but Travis Hunter cannot. I don't. I think he sees Travis as legitimately another son. I don't think he would leave him behind. Um, so I don't think you wait there. But I think that that's. We'll see what year two does. But the buzz of Dion going somewhere else, I think a lot of places saw that. And regardless of what happened on the field, and especially if you're going to a place that has a better product that you're taking over, where he had to start literally from the ground up at Colorado. I could see a place wondering, well, if he had our resources and our roster, right. and we added that to it, what could we do? Are you talking uh, to a team I, I in College Station right now? No. I was College kidding, Station but is, can you imagine? It's a hilarious fit for a million <laughs> it, different reasons. It would, yeah. it would not work, um, and it, it won't happen. But, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of coaches I would have liked to have seen in a big place, and I'm very curious what would happen to Dion at a big place. And I do think... The way that he handled the offense and the lack of patience 
and making a move that has been relatively universally panned and has not changed their fortunes on the field at all. Um, I think that raised a lot of questions for a lot of people in the sport of like, is this guy yeah. doing the things that you need to build a sustainable program? Because knee jerk firing Sean Lewis, because you don't like the way the offense has played the last three weeks or whatever against really good defenses doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think there's a few columns that will be written in the off season. I'm very curious. Um, it was you, your most successful story of the year, Dave was reaching out to players who got cut from last year's team. If he does that again from players he brought in himself, I think the tenor of that is different. Um, well, you can't do it, but you can do it more implicitly. I you mean, coaches been running off you, players. You, yeah, but no, but I'm saying you can't do it every year. I'm not saying he's going to do it with 64 people this time, but that'll be interesting to track, like how he flips the roster into something that's better next year with players that he brought in. And then the other column that I think would be an interest, I don't know if it would be too rude, but the analysis of whether or not Travis Hunter made the right decision with his career would be an interesting one. Cause like I've been dreaming like, well, Travis Hunter could be the starting corner for a team that is on the verge of winning the ACC championship. And, you know, maybe he would have been an legitimate Heisman contender if he would have been as explosive and as awesome as he was at Colorado for a place that's in the spotlight. But then on the other hand, I'm sure he's printing cash with his YouTube channel. So like that to me, it's like Travis Hunter is a, Key experiment if you are a five-star prospect who wants to go off the the beaten path a little bit. And I think that you can make the case that it's better off at Colorado. And because of that, I think that's an interesting dynamic um, for other players who are thinking about either playing for Dion or doing something else. So Colorado was an interesting story. But listen, we have another offseason coming up, and it's going to be interesting again. The one thing I would love to see with Colorado, and we haven't seen it this year, is Dion's been kind of quiet the last month. The last six mm-hmm. weeks when things aren't going well, it's not funny. You know, there's not a lot of jokes, not a lot of, you know, printable headlines. He's been a little bit, not a lot of receipts under the radar. So if, if, if they ever got it rolling, when Austin said proof of concept, like, could you imagine how fun it would be to play for Dion when you're seven and oh, or eight and oh, and actually in a picture for like, I mean, God, like you, Travis Hunter was the king of the world for three weeks when they were three and oh. So that is proof of concept. But if you could do that and sustain it for, a season or a half a season, even it would keep getting better and better and better. Um, okay. Next question. Hey guys, this is Brad in Nashville. Uh, never called into one of these things, but days of high state takes that finally motivated me. Let's do a little timeline. Let's start with the Notre Dame game. He picks the Irish. He's very confident. Uh, high state ends up winning last second, you know, toss up game. Can't fault him too much for being wrong there. Then we go to Penn state. He picks Penn state. Um, high state ends up winning by eight. You know, they don't have a Mecca Kane's not even that close, so he's wrong again. You think, oh, maybe Dave's learning. Maybe he's realized he's undervaluing the Buckeyes. No, he's now tripled down, calls him unserious title contender, and says they couldn't play with Georgia. We just saw these two teams play in an all-time classic less than a year ago. He astutely points out, sure, they don't have C.J. Stroud, but Georgia doesn't have Stetson Bennett or Jalen Carter. Ohio State in that game also lost Cade Silver in the first quarter and Marvin Harrison in the third quarter on the infamous non-targeting call that knocked him out. They also didn't have Trey Henderson from Michigan or Georgia last year, and he's looked awesome the past couple weeks. He's nitpicked Ohio State all along the way this year while dismissing any blemishes Georgia or Alabama, for that matter, have shown. You're telling me Missouri can play with Georgia, but Ohio State can? And then let's look at Alabama real quick. How they become a top-two team in the country blows my mind. They lose to Texas at home by 10. 
They have that awful game against UCF. They're down at half to Texas A&M and win by six. And then they beat a terrible Arkansas team by three. This selective application where we look at Ohio State's bad parts, but then dismiss two-thirds of Alabama's season is pretty annoying. Drewski. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Dave? You think you're too harsh on Ohio State? (laughs) (laughs) It's my my 10 years covering the program. Couple things here. Couple things here. One, I think I just said that I thought the game against Penn State would be relatively close because I didn't think anybody would score. I don't remember. I definitely didn't pick Penn State to win that game, uh, just for the record. Uh, I think, Ari, if we went back and listened to the show, especially the Saturday night shows, the idea that I have been overlooking the shortcomings for Alabama and Georgia, are that is a ludicrous allegation, just for the record. You overlooked them last night, though, and that's what he's referring to. Well, I didn't overlook them last night. They disappeared. You said have point, you, have you, you watched you, these teams the yeah, last no, three weeks? I'm just saying. I, the last you point three blank weeks, said that Alabama can beat Georgia and dismiss the notion that Ohio State could compete with them last night. Yeah, because I've been watching their games. That's the reason. Uh, that's that's a that's a pretty big bullet point. The last three weeks, I'm curious what warts you have seen in Alabama or Georgia. And Alabama, obviously, as we have referenced is still the most talented team in the country. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the same thing that I've been saying for weeks with Ohio State. And I agree with you, Ari. You've got to be able to score to win titles. Nobody is stopping Georgia's offense. You're not going to hold them under 30 points. And do you really think Ohio State could score 30 on this Georgia defense? Because I do not. And it's not that I thought that Missouri could could play with these guys. I didn't think Missouri had a chance to necessarily beat them, especially not in Sanford. And that's the thing. I don't think that Georgia would walk all over Ohio State. I just don't see them beating beating Georgia. It's not happening. Just so you know, the last few weeks, Ohio State has gotten back Trey Henderson, who it looks like the peak version of himself, which is a huge boon for their offense. You get a Mecca Egbuka back. You get more experience for Kyle McCord. You put him in a dome. I think that you have a closer game than you think. Austin, do you think Ohio State can beat Michigan? And what is your perception of the Big Ten's standing in this? And do you think Ohio State can play with Georgia? And do you think Michigan can play with Georgia? I do think Ohio State can beat Michigan. I, Ari, I'm curious for your take on this. I My take from afar just watching Ohio State is that the difference, their improvement on defense outweighs uh, the step back on offense without C.J. Stroud. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, I disagree with that. All right. Uh, And the reason why is I think you need to score 40 in the Dome in the playoff. Can I also say something? Can I enrage the entire Big Ten? (laughs) I know I've been doing it all season. Oh, here we go again with the Big Ten West here. (laughs) Can I say this? The Ohio State, the Penn State, the Michigan defensive numbers, Fugazi. Who are they playing that is impressing you that they're these defenses are racking up these numbers against? I'm the sorry. Same teams that Ohio State was playing on, last year and giving up a bunch I know of points that. to. Well, yeah. congratulations on holding Minnesota to three points. Give them the trophy. <laughs> you like, can't. These defenses you can't are very good, but they're not Ohio as State's good as improvement say. as a defensive outfit. I'm not saying that they, they haven't, haven't improved. Anyone. I'm not saying they haven't improved, but I think there is this narrative that Ohio State and Michigan to a lesser to to some extent and Penn State have like these impenetrable defenses. And I think if they play Florida State or Oregon or Alabama or Georgia, 
I think that that notion is going to be washed away quite quickly. I think Ohio State could hold Georgia to 31. I don't know if they could score 34. No, holding Georgia to 31 (laughs) is a good defensive effort. I mean, I guess Missouri held them to 30. That's what I'm saying. I think that they could at least duplicate what Mizzou did. You're dismissing the notion that they could compete while also saying Michigan could. So you can't. Again, you're doing it again. You're saying that Michigan's no, defense I've, and Ohio I've, State's defense's I've numbers are fake. on Michigan. S- I've seen enough of Michigan the last couple of weeks that I, the idea that Michigan has a better chance to beat Georgia, I, I'm but not didn't you sure say I on Saturday night that. that Michigan would has a bet you'd have more stock in maybe what they slightly, could do? Maybe slightly because I think they're better on the lines. But you know, Austin, to get back to you because I think your perspective of this is interesting. You've watched Michigan more than any of us. Um. There is this notion that Michigan is on the precipice of winning a national championship. I think, I mean, in Ann Arbor especially, but nationally, people view Michigan as one of the three best teams in the country. Their whole thing has been beat Georgia all year, right? Like that was their, they they beat Ohio State, they conquered that mountain. Wasn't that a slogan in practice or something? They have a beat Georgia period. With what you've seen out of this team, take the scandal out of it, take all the crap that we have to deal with out of it. Is this Michigan football team all 22 players able to line up with Georgia and beat them in an indoor field. Not the Michigan team I've seen the last two weeks. No, I, I, you know, in the middle of the season, I might've said they had a shot, but Thank you, when JJ McCarthy throws for 60 yards, like you, you can't beat Georgia that way. You can beat Penn state that way. Uh, and defensively watching the way Maryland was able to go after Michigan on defense a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of with, David about like, I'm not sure Michigan's defense is as good as it, as the numbers make it look like we all get Stockholm syndrome in the big 10. Like we watch these big 10 West games and like lose all perspective, you know, of what actual football looks like. Um, yes. I think that this Ohio state team um, has I was a better put you chance in a blender. to beat Michigan this year, <laughs> but I'm going to put you in a blender here. <laughs> My take before the year was that Michigan was the big 10 favorite but Ohio state is more able to compete with Georgia. Who do you think of those two right now? And it's a podcast. Let it fly. We're having fun. We'll find out. (laughs) Do you think Ohio state or Michigan had a, has a better chance or would have a better chance on a field against Georgia? I'd say Ohio state to both right now. I I was just going to say, I think this Ohio state team has a better chance to beat Michigan. Like it's built to compete with Michigan better than the last two. I don't know if it's built to beat Georgia. Um, but I think that it's probably like more kind of in the sweet spot of a team that could potentially beat Michigan and could potentially play with a team like Georgia compared to the last two Ohio State teams. I think people are sleeping on Ohio State going into this game. I don't That's think that, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know what my pick's <laughs> going to be. But if you got the preseason line of seven and a half. I think you're you're banking that. I, th- I if I could get seven and a half, I would throw cash at it like I was Jordan Belfort. Um, so we'll see. But I, it's going to be a three or two and a half point spread now, and it's on the road. Basically, means it's a coin flip. And there's also the unspoken about notion of this: if you covered the game last year, you watched it, Austin. You know, Michigan seemed to throw routes where Ohio State was weak last year on defense. And they they popped them on a few where knowing the calls might have helped. So, so like there is like a 10% chance, right? 
that they might have had a signal or two in the game that broke it open last year that they're not going to have this year, presumably. Like, I'm not saying that's the reason they won. Don't go clip this and say, oh, Ari thinks the only reason why Michigan beat Ohio State's that. But if they got a play or two last year because of that, and that doesn't exist anymore, we don't know the answer to that. So, like, the complete picture of this game, I think there is that little window of, uh, like, what happened there? That's all. Uh, And is that irrational? So uh, Connor Stallion's got the don't cover Cornelius Johnson play. Uh, no, and Ohio State's <laughs> defense was booty cheeks last year. I'm not saying that the only reason why Michigan won is, but part of Ohio State's defensive issues last year was a little bit of gambling. And if you gamble wrong, they lost. There were a few touchdowns with broken coverages or, or, or situations where, what was that touchdown that they threw? It's like a 15-yard pass, and he broke a tackle and ran down the field for 80 yeah, yards. That was the one. Like, there were certain certain plays in that in that game Ohio State was kicking their ass until that that play that play happens and then Ohio State got their ass kicked if they had a beat on defensive calls that changed the perspective of the game last year and they don't have that advantage anymore i wonder if that will be a factor that's all i'm saying like laying points in this game is really difficult from where i'm sitting i, I like ohio state to win this game i'm sorry to disappoint our friend who thinks i hate ohio state but i've been saying this for a couple weeks i, I i'm with our friend I, though Austin, on this one. Austin, I'm curious how you feel about this because you're closer to it. Man, it feels like Michigan, they're just wearing the weight of all this. Does it yeah. feel like that as you've watched them? I thought that, yeah, especially yesterday, I thought that um, against Maryland. That was the, really the first time it looked to me like, you know, just like the body language and the, you know, the, the vibe of the team just felt off to me that whole day. Um, and that was really the first time all season I was like, it's, it feels like maybe this is starting to catch up to them a little bit. Although I will say last year they played Illinois the week before they played Ohio state. It was their worst game of the season. They had to kick a field goal at the end to win. So I also think Michigan, uh, sometimes the week before Ohio state kind of dials it back a little bit, but, um, I would be a little bit like, I'm, I'm not sure what to expect from this Michigan team. If they're going to come out like focused and, you know, ready to play or if, if it's going to look like a team that, you know, has been through the craziest month that they've ever had in their lives, um, which that that might be the case, too. Uh, I am with the caller on this, Dave. I think you're insane for thinking that they couldn't fathom a, a scenario where they win. I'm not saying I think they would win, um, but dismissing a group A team in a football game is just a weird thought process to me. Um, group A is group A. You know, we don't got to go. I mean. Group A is always in the game. You're going to just sit there and take it? All right. The hole in your theory here is that I have watched Ohio State's offense against competent defenses. Notre Dame, Penn State. We'll see it against Michigan this week. And I have come away thinking the problem is that Georgia and Alabama and even even Oregon. We'll see about I think Oregon's probably up there too. Their defenses, I think, are well, just for the sake of the argument, comparable to what Penn State uh, has and what Notre Dame has defensively. And their offenses are in another stratosphere. And that's how we get to, I'm not buying Ohio State. Let's go to the next one. We've got three more. Let's try to get to all of them, okay? Hey, Dave and Ari. This is Emily from St. Louis. I am currently in Indiana visiting my in-laws for Thanksgiving. And I am the only one awake, and the Missouri game just ended. 
So I just wanted you guys to tell me what bowl game Mizzou is going to and why it should definitely be one of the New Year's Six games. M-I-V. Shout out to Mizzou. They are headed to the New Year's Six, it would appear. Uh, they were playing with fire a little bit with Florida. You lose that game, it gets a little touch and go. But I tell you, the most likely spot, Ari, the most likely spot, they've been there not long ago, is the Cotton Bowl. Dallas's finest. Ari, you can check them out in that ball game. Uh, Missouri, it's pretty interesting this year. Ten wins. They have done that four times since 1960. All four were Gary Pinkle. So shout out to Eli Drinkwitz and the Tigers. Uh, getting the crazy win against Florida last night. Uh, standing on business once again. Missouri's kicker, the- by the way. Legend. Oh. Love yeah. that guy. Mevis, the thicker yeah. kicker. And the guy's clutch. 61-yarder to beat yeah. K-State. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and he, didn't he kick the win this one? Yes. This you was trot, a much more normal if, kick. But if, I don't know, you trot Mevis out there, though, with the game on the line, it's going to be, it's going to split the uplights, <laughs> well, man. Money. He did miss a 28-yarder to beat Auburn last year, so no, that did happen. Last that year was a count. That, well, That was did. the craziest finish to a game in the history of the, game, of the sport, right? That Auburn Auburn, last year? Or that Auburn game? Was that the it one where they there. fumbled it going into the end yeah, zone? At the end? Yeah, a, yeah. He missed yeah. the kick. It was it was crazy. Uh, there's probably been some crazier ones, but that was up there. Um, but Mevis has been money this year, and Mizzou's breakthrough has been very, very interesting. Not anything. I'd, I'd like to see what the Vegas odds were for a 10-win Mizzou season when the year started. Okay, next question. Hey, guys. This is Robert in uh, Nashville. Can I ask a question about Georgia Bulldogs? Like, where do you guys rate them in terms of historical football teams? I'm I'm 47, and uh, when Herschel Walker and those those type of glory days, and we kind of had the long time where we were just mediocre. I've grown up with Alabama being so good, Florida State being uh, having a run, you know, Miami in the 80s. Um, there was some criticism of Georgia. It was more about like 2023 Georgia compared to. 21 and 22 Georgia B plus Georgia this year is better than everyone else in the game. Where are we with Georgia in terms of the historical, what you guys feel about them? I think if they win the national championship this year, that might be like, I am such a prisoner of the moment. You got to save me. But with the way the game is set up right now, it's like, is it less impressive or more impressive because they've had so much better players than everybody they've played? except for the games that they won in the playoff. So it's like to win three championships in a row in the current climate with recruiting and Alabama being who they are and, you know, having to beat Ohio state and these teams that have been built up the last few years is super impressive to me. But on the other hand, it's like, were the dynasties of the early two thousands or the eighties more difficult because the talent advantage wasn't so stark. Like I, I don't know where to put them. Well, I don't think we know what the talent advantage was back then. We didn't have it's hard to quantify recruiting rankings. It's very hard to quantify um, and all these things. You do watch some of those teams, and it does look like a man among boys situation. But Ari, I, I think in this case, it, it might just be as simple as holding up trophies, right? There's a reason why it's been almost a century since anybody's done this, because it's very hard to do. And Georgia lost five first-round picks off of its defense. From the first title team and they won it again then they lost their defensive coordinator they still won it last year they lost their offensive coordinator they lost their quarterback still won it 
Like, this is, you know, they're on track to do it. They're on track to do it. Clearly, they're the favorite at this point. If you have three in a row, if you finish the drill here, and you want to make the case that this is the best era that we've ever seen in the sport, who else has won three in a row? There's a reason it hadn't happened. USC came close, didn't get the job done. Well, there's one unequivocal fact here, and that is winning a national championship is harder now than it's ever been. Because you have to win a conference championship game, you have to win a semifinal, and you have to win a national title game. Yes. That said, and Matthew C., our token Georgia fan in the chat here, Saban has never gone 8-0 in the SEC for three straight years. He never won three straight national championships, and winning three national titles in a row would make Georgia the best dynasty ever. Austin, what do you think? I agree. It's harder to win now than it's ever been. You know, Georgia is still kind of like in the, like, potentially like the first half of their dynasty, right? That's mm-hmm. the thing that we, yeah. we you know, don't know is what is the next 10 years of Georgia going to look like? But if the next 10 years of Georgia looks like the last five years of Georgia, then we're going to say this is the most dominant college football program in history. Well, I think that the fair thing to say is, and we, we, it's like hard because we're going to get caught into the three and O aspect or the three in a row. If they win it aspect of this, if you go break down a lot of these Nick Saban stats, you know, he might not have ever gone eight. No in the sec, but like, I don't think there's been a recruit that's signed with Alabama the entire time he's been there that has stayed three years that hasn't won one. Um, and like all these like draft pick stats, there's a lot of Saban stats out there. I wish I would have, you know, had a few to present, but you've heard them. Like, I'm not ready, even if they win three in a row, to say it's better than what Saban has done from 2009 to the present day. That said, what Nick Saban has done to the sport, or did in the sport, was so unprecedented and so dominant that I think he brainwashed us all into thinking that winning a national championship is easier than it is. So, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that what Georgia did or could do here this year is got to be one of the most incredible, hardest feats to ever accomplish because, you know, you lose players, you lose the edge, you you know, it's hard to, to get up every week the way that they have now going on three straight years. Um, so I don't think that I would put Georgia above Alabama yet. That said, what Nick Saban did was unprecedented and remarkable, and I think that the odds-on favorite – has to be that Kirby is going to duplicate that, which is insane. Like, I thought we would never see that again. And Nick Saban, who knows how many years he has left. He keeps getting younger every year. Um, But there is going to be a time where Kirby Smart is at Georgia, and that thing is built, and Saban is not at Bama. Like, I know the SEC is getting harder. I know uh, Texas and Oklahoma are on the way. Uh, But, man, it's just incredible. What, what he's doing. And I think he deserves to be in that discussion already. Yeah, he hasn't had enough time. I mean, I think you're right that doing what Saban has done for the length that he has done it and all the different iterations and the changes and evolutions in the program is unbelievable. And that is harder than winning three in a row, I think. But it depends on how you define dynasty, right? Like, I think it's plausible that Kirby could do, like you said, what Saban has done in the next decade. He hasn't had that opportunity but, like, you know, Miami didn't quite have the same level of constant success. They did it for short periods of time twice. Same thing with USC. They didn't quite have it quite as, you know, uh, for as long as they did it. I mean, think about so if you USC's want to say national championship four-year window. Yeah. USC, like, yeah. had two or three years there where they were the 
king shit in the sport. They couldn't even win in the BCS era. You know how hard it is to win three in a row in the playoff era playing in that conference? It's yeah. insane. Okay, next question. Hey, guys. This is Richard from Maryland. Uh, great job with the Sunday show. My question for you is, why isn't Carson Beck in the conversation for the Heisman? I'm not saying he deserves it over Penix or Knicks or those guys, but he's the quarterback of the undefeated number one team in the country. He's top 10 in rating. He's seven in passing yards, even though he's barely played or thrown a pass in the fourth quarter this year. Um, and it just feels like his name hasn't even come up a single time. He should be somewhere in the mix of just names that come up at least. Uh, maybe this was more a complaint than a question, but that's it. Thanks, guys. I don't know if he's dynamic. Is that easy? To, is that fair? Well, it's is an interesting dynamic? question. Uh, yeah, he's a very good player. Is actually Kirby was actually asked about this last night. Um, basically, like, should Carson get more conversation? And he said, "Well, you know, when we're game planning, you know, we we know." I mean, he wasn't saying this in like a braggadocious way, but just like in a functional game planning way. We probably don't have to score 40. And that affects how you call games. They're not, they don't have to be as aggressive. Um, like, we don't have to score 40 to win a game. It's like, we might in the future, maybe. But when you walk in and you start game planning and you know you don't have to score 40 points, then it's going to be tough versus Jaden Daniels where you might have to score 50 to win a ball game. And you know that coming in. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he's eighth nationally in uh, passer rating. You know, 21 touchdowns, five picks. It's just the numbers are good, but they're not comparable to when you talk about Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, uh, Michael Penix. They're just not on that level. I just, my criteria for when I vote on the Heisman, and listen, Austin, there are two other quarterbacks that are playing this weekend that have similar distinctions, right? I don't know what the numbers are in comparison to Carson Beck, but he's not the only quarterback that's (laughs) leading a team that's, undefeated in in the playoff hunt. Um, What is your take on that? Yeah, too many good quarterbacks this year. Um, I, you know, there are probably still some Heisman voters who just will vote for the starting quarterback of the best team if he has good numbers. But I think most Heisman voters now want to look deeper into it than that. I mean, we sort of had that moment with JJ McCarthy earlier this year where it's like, is he a Heisman candidate? He's kind of like on the fringe. He started to show up in our straw poll a couple of times, but then his numbers have, have dropped off. I mean, I, I just think, you know, between Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, like just too many, too many good quarterbacks, um, you know, for the guy who's just like a really good quarterback on the best team to win the Heisman. Some years you can do that, but not this year. Here's the actual truth. The way I vote for the Heisman and will this year when this is all said and done is to Vote for the players that you cannot tell the story of the season without. And a mentor of mine, Doug Maurice, taught me that. I think that's the right way to vote for it. I don't think stats are, are like, I'm not going to vote for Jaden Daniels this week because he scored a bunch of points against Georgia State. That doesn't move me. Um, and people are, are going to neg Carson Beck's accomplishments at Georgia because they've seen it happen already two years in a row. Like there's nothing about him as a person and this might be flawed or wrong, but it's not new. It's not exciting. It's the expectation. And it's kind of the same thing that happens. I think with coach of the year awards, right? Like it doesn't go to the best coach. It goes to the coach that turned the shittiest team into a good team that year. Mm -hmm. Um, And Carson Beck's emergence as Georgia's quarterback isn't 
the perceived reason for their success. Whereas Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix and even J.J. McCarthy to a certain extent, you can contri- you could attribute the program's rise and the situation that they're in directly to the quarterback position. And you can't do that at Georgia. So it's not new. It's not exciting. And it's not going from bad to good or solid to great. It's just a continuation of what has been the case there for the past two season beyond. So I think that's my theory of it. I don't know if that's if well, that's, my, for the way I, the way I approach the Heisman vote is a, a few things. One, you're a stats is just from a, I'm not a stats guy. I'm not. A, I do factor in stats. I'm not a stats guy, Ari. You love stats. No. I don't. I'm okay. With you're stats. a big stats guy. I think I'm stats are moderate, stupid. I'm a moderate stats guy. Um. Anyway, um, it's just when you're looking at your ballot from a wholesale thirty thousand foot, and you say these are the top three. If you made the case that these are the best players in the country, does that hold water? This is why I was so offended by the Stetson Bennett votes from last year and that he got to go to New York. If you want to make the case that Georgia's fourth best player is the nation's most outstanding player, that is so blatantly insane to me that it was like offensive to me that that many people voted for him. It's lazy voting, okay? Now, I to some degree, I wouldn't phrase it the way that Ari would, but I think you need to be the reason why your team is successful. You need to be pretty successful. I think if you're a stellar player like Jaden Daniels has been and you're doing the things that he's doing, 3,000 yards passing, 1,000 yards rushing, and your defense is terrible and you're not the reason why they're losing games, I think I'll make some exceptions for that. And then I have like a little, how many times did you make me say, wow? Like how many times did my jaw drop watching you? And last year, that's why I had Bijan number three. Last year I voted Caleb Williams one, Hannon Hooker two, and Bijan three. I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of football left to play that's going to shake this out. But that's kind of how I approach it, and like the numbers do factor into that. But like Carson Beck's not the best player on his own team, and that to me is the biggest barrier. Like Brock Bowers is a better player, and I know like he's been hurt and he's not going to be able to get any Heisman buzz. But like Brock's a significantly better player. Um, speed round. We got one more voicemail. Speed round. Who is? Don't say who you think is going to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. Don't even apply. Stats or anything. Let me just ask you a question. And mm-hmm. we'll go around the world. We'll go Austin, Dave, and then Ari. And I did just speak to myself in the first person. Who is the most outstanding player in college football this year, Austin? Jaden Daniels. Dave? As of this moment right now, I think I'm also going to say Jaden Daniels. And I think I will probably vote for the quarterback that wins the Pac-12 championship. I think I am going to vote for the quarterback who wins the Pac-12 championship. I think, and listen, I'm I'm a homer. I think the best player in college football is Marvin Harrison. Um, and he's not going to win, Dave. You're going to turn out to be right. No, I think that Marvin Harrison is the most outstanding player. He doesn't have the best stats. There's a lot of great receivers out there, which I think also hurts. But if I watch football as much as I do and I pick who I think is the best player, I think I would pick Marvin Harrison. So that said, I don't think I'm going to vote. But you said you're not a numbers guy, Ari. You say you don't care about stats. If you don't care about stats, then why wouldn't you vote for Marvin number one if he's the best player? Because I don't know if that is enough when there are quarterbacks on the West Coast who transformed programs. So So you do care about stats. 
No, no, it's not stats. I mean, I think that Washington <laughs> went from a team that I used to t- think was terrible and awful at recruiting during the Jimmy Lake years to yeah. being in the playoff two years later when I thought their program was left for for dead. You know, like I think that Bo yeah. Nix taking Oregon to the playoff, you know, 36 months after, or sorry, 24 months or 18 months after that team didn't belong on the same field as Georgia is an outstanding story. Um, and yeah. frankly speaking, like if Harrison has 275 yards receiving and four touchdowns against Michigan, that changes the narrative a little bit. But as I sit here right now, I think he's the most outstanding individual player in the country. I don't know if his story matches up with the people on the West Coast yet. So, okay, last question. Hey, Ari. Hey, David. It's Sam, Stevie's dad in Dallas again, calling about Alabama. If the committee wants to talk about eye test, I'm watching Texas versus Iowa State right now, Washington versus Oregon State, and I'm just baffled at what the committee sees that Alabama's lacking. We'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. I understand Texas beat Alabama, but I test, I'm just not seeing it right now. Alabama's hot at the right moment, and yeah. You know what they're lacking, Sam? i got to say, this guy is a good buddy of mine. I got him into the show because his daughter's in my same is in the same class as my daughter's. And he's That's a called guy. grassroots marketing, Ari. Yeah. That's good. I, I wanted him on the show. I, I threw him a bone. He's a great guy. Uh, his He steps up and helps me out when I need help with my daughter and ropes me into daycare activities. But I – you want to know what's lacking, Sam? And I think I said it to your face earlier. They're not undefeated. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. Like, to me, I really – think that Alabama is going to be in if they just went out. I've tried to calm him down. I think if you're an Alabama fan, you can block out the noise of the playoff committee on Tuesday and just hope that something happens that guarantees beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're in. But I think that Alabama will be in the playoff if they win and beat Georgia and win the SEC. I don't think there's anything to worry about. Yeah. I don't think I test it. You don't need to start your eye test discussion on November 19th. It's pretty simple. This is a wholesale evaluation of these teams okay you start with that you're not undefeated that's correct you lost to texas at home so they're above you for now if you beat georgia that changes the conversation and then oregon has just been wrecking everybody all season long and lost a hair game to a really good washington team who is still undefeated texas as we may or may not have noted is not undefeated so that is not as good of a loss but alabama you look around they messed around with a bad texas a&m team they let Arkansas come back in the game, almost lost that game. They were down double digits, if I'm not mistaken, to Tennessee at halftime. Uh, you know, they were in a track meet with LSU. They've looked really good the last couple weeks, um, you know, especially offensively coming into view. But when you're looking at the totality of the season, like Texas and Oregon have been better. They've had better game control. They have been more dominant. Um, and those are two one-loss teams that have been more impressive. Now, I think Bama's ceiling is outrageously high, as we have noted. I think they are the most likely team to beat Georgia. They'll get a shot at Georgia, guaranteed. But when you look at the whole season, I don't have a problem with where Bama's at. Austin, do you have a problem where Bama's at? No. No. I I mean, a one-loss SEC champion is going to be in the playoff without a doubt. So if they win out, they're in. doesn't really matter where they are right now, right? I mean, I think they're behind the teams. They're behind for a good reason. But I think they will pass several of those teams if they win the rest of their games. I understand the frustration of a Alabama fan who's watching other games. Like you can't watch, like be an Alabama fan and be 
inundated with the success that they've had and watch your team the way they've played the last two weeks, then turn on the Iowa State-Texas game and go, yeah, uh, we aren't as good as them now. Or watch mm-hmm. Washington and Oregon State and be like, yeah, we couldn't beat either of these teams. Like, there's a sense of impatience for me uh, if you are in that position, and I understand that. But let me ask Sam a question, and I'll ask you guys a question. What team in front of Alabama could you rationally, with a straight face, rank in front them in front of right now? Like, you can't rank them in front of Georgia. You cannot rank them in front of Ohio State. You can't rank them in front of Michigan. You can't rank them in front of Florida State. You can't rank them in front of Washington, all for the same reason, and that is they are power five teams who have not lost yet. So that mm-hmm. is is the case. And then you go on into um, the second half of this here, and you have Oregon and Texas as the only one-loss teams ranked ahead of them. One beats you head-to-head, and one is mashing people on the West Coast, and their only loss is to an undefeated team and on the road by three and probably should have and could have won. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't think that Alabama – I just think that November 19th is too early for the eye test discussion because there's a lot of season yeah. left to be played out. And the rankings are based solely on the criteria of what we have information-wise at this given point. That changes every week. There's new information. There's new losses. There's new, I mean, new information. If Georgia beats, I mean, if they beat Georgia, that is certainly new information that we would have to take into account. And if they find themselves in a position where they're head-to-head with Oregon to get in at the end of the year, you might not like what, what the rankings look like now. But Alabama with a Georgia win and an SEC championship is a very tough case to lose. And I think that if you're an Alabama fan and you are convinced that your team is one of the two or three best teams in the country, the best thing that you can say is you have a chance to prove it. And when they yep. do, that'll change. So, okay. Um, Can't wait for we that have game. two quick news items before we go, and then I'll let you guys out of here. One, Cam Rising's coming back next year for a seventh season. Big His first lightning. year was 2018, and Stuart Mandel tweeted out that uh, – he is his first year in college football was Sam Ellinger's uh, sophomore season at Texas. If you want to use um, that. Secondly, um, we have some Big Twelve tiebreaker news. Do we want to share that real quick for people? If you're into it, I haven't I, seen I, this. Okay, I so I'm just going to read it. The, the Big Twelve released a statement. Scenarios for the college football. Uh, playoff or the call the football championships running the big 12 matchup on Friday, November 24th, Oklahoma remains in contention with either a win or a loss against TCU. Texas will clinch both a birth to the championship and the number one seed with a win over Texas tech. If Texas wins and clinches a birth on Friday, the following scenarios apply to surrounding the big 12 matchups on Saturday. If Oklahoma state beats BYU, the Cowboys clinch a birth to the championship as the number two seed. If Oklahoma defeats TCU on Friday and that win is followed by a Texas win and an Oklahoma State loss, the Sooners clinch a berth to the championship as a two seed. If Kansas State defeats Iowa State on Saturday following a Texas win and a loss by Oklahoma and a loss by Oklahoma State, the Wildcats clinch a berth to the championship as the number two seed. I'm already confused. (laughs) Listen, if you're a Big 12 fan, you're just waiting to hear the trigger for your team and then you follow that one. If Texas Tech wins on Friday, the following scenarios apply around surrounding the Big 12 matchups on Saturday, November 25th. No team can clinch a bid to the championship game until Saturday. Texas can still clinch a berth to the championship if two of the three two-loss teams, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, lose on Friday and or Saturday. Texas and the remaining winning team of those three will qualify for the championship. If Texas loses on Friday... 
And two or three of those two lost teams win against Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State on Friday and or Saturday. There will be a three. There will be three or four teams tied for both championship berths. Multiple scenarios exist in this circumstance contingent on which teams remain in the tiebreaker pool. And the reason why I wanted to read all that out is that is where things stand in the Big 12 race. <laughs> so it looks like Texas is just winning their in, and then who else wins is um, going to be based on the uh, quasi playoff games that we're going to get over the next two weeks. So I have two I'm excited about on that. Sorry, that's not one. my document, Rodrigo. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Number one. Uh, no team can clinch a bid to the championship until Saturday if Texas Tech wins. Thank you, Big 12, for shouting out the show. We appreciate that. And secondly, whoever wins the Big 12, whoever wins the Big 12 title, they do have to play Texas Tech to validate. Is that correct? Uh, is that what you think? Yeah. Uh, Big 12 champion Texas Tech. You got to yeah. go through Lubbock. You got to so go through Lubbock. Yeah. If you win in Arlington the next week, you have to play in Lubbock, if I'm not mistaken, I believe. I'm okay, guys, that, that was a solid hour and 16 <laughs> minutes. Uh, it wasn't so bad, was it, Austin? We didn't we didn't torture no, you too fun. much. Did that we? was fun. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm going to uh, catch an early morning flight and do a, a late night podcast again. It's fun. Yeah. Um, flying from D.C. at six in the morning sounds awful. Is that what you did? That is what I did today. Yeah. Oh, my did God. you stop with the magic pan? Most importantly. The ma- the magic pan. Yeah, it's in Reagan. <laughs> what did you have for breakfast today? Well, nothing was open at that hour of the day. Like, uh, the that's was tough. Dead, so, that's yeah. tough. Would you have that's gotten tough. crepes if given the opportunity? So I, I do not know about the glory of the magic pan. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. But, me but if you walked by a place that was like everything's closed, but you can get crepes, would you have done it, or would you have just gotten on a plane like an adult? Hell yeah, I'd get crepes. <laughs> Look at this man. At five in the morning. Hell yeah. This guy you were knows looking ball. around for crepes. Okay, yeah, the guy wanted some. Uh, Ari, at that. some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna force feed you magic pan crepes, and your life's gonna be completely changed. They're so they're, good. I don't doubt that they're good. I think it's a bizarre Denver thing to Airport, eat at five in the morning. Washington, yeah. Reagan. They're delicious. Um, shout out! Shout out to the magic pan. Actually, Rodrigo, let me just say one thing about Google Docs, and then we'll get out of here. J.J. Reddick had the most epic rant about Google Docs that was going around on Twitter. Did you guys see this? I missed this. I didn't see this. He said that the thing that makes him most angry online, and I can echo this, is when somebody sends you a Google Doc, and you do it all the time, Dave. And then I click (laughs) on it. You send it to my personal email. I click on the link, and then I can't contribute to it because I need permission. Then I have to text the person who sent it to me (laughs) to grant me permission in order to potentially edit the thing. I hate it. Just send me a link that I can type into. This isn't like – this isn't Connor (laughs) Stallions' personal computer. Like, I can just – I can't say – I do be doing that just for the record. <laughs> what? Like, why is there security that like on a Google doc that you would expect? Like your, my bank account is easier to log into. <laughs> why? I just do that. I just do the, anyone has access and can edit, but sometimes I forget to change the settings. Yeah. It should be. Anyone can access and edit it. It's a Wikipedia page. I don't think that some random fan is going to stumble upon your Google doc and mess up your rough draft of our round table for the Monday. Like it's crazy, and then and then I don't. But what if they open did, Ari? Because then I've got to wait for whoever sent it to me to figure out how to give me access to it, and then three hours go by, and the next I've thing you know, it's, it's like six weeks later, times. and I forgot to look at it because it was such a hassle to get into it to begin with. Which is why can I, I hate calendars I, and Google Docs and emails. So just like text me, man, or like you know. Can I just, tell you, Ari, the one story of the time that I was the most rude and I didn't realize it? 
I mean, I, we'll I, I know a few times where you were rude. You were pretty rude on Saturday night. <laughs> was I? Yeah. Sorry, Ohio State fans. No. Yeah. So I had a, I had a friend of mine who, now this is back, I was single. I had never planned or conducted a wedding. I had a friend of mine who was getting married. <laughs> we were, we were, we were, cl- we were like friends, but like not like super, super close. And he kept on calling me and texting me and asking if I was coming to the wedding. And I was like, Dude, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. My schedule's kind of complicated. Like, I don't know. Like, I'll have to figure this out later. And it was like two. And it got to the point where it was like three weeks before the wedding. And I was like, dude, I really, I told him, like, I'm not sure. I was like, why does he keep harassing me about whether or not I'm coming to his wedding? Like, you don't understand so that? In- I didn't at the time. And then I started planning my own wedding. And I literally called him. And I said, hey, I'm sorry for being a, a jerk to you because I did not realize did you ask him why do you keep pestering me? Did you no, say that? I didn't. Oh. No, I didn't. Because we weren't That's like that we weren't like that close. It's pretty bad. We've if had people, that to me. Uh, I'd be people furious. at our wedding cancel the day of. It happens. Shit comes yeah. up. Well, I just was waffling because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it. And I was like, why does he care if I come or not? That bad. <laughs> and then actually, I started planning my own, and I felt very. And bad. then he realized it's one hundred and eighty-one dollars a plate, and then that's all of a well, sudden. Well, not even you know? that. It's just like you have to know. You have to know who's coming for like all kinds of logistical reasons. Yeah, and. Uh, so, I'm sorry. I feel bad about that still to this day. Thank you guys for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday. This was the Sunday Sound Off edition. If you're here watching on YouTube, I feel like it's a community. I, I, I recognize these names. We appreciate your contributions to the show, both in voicemail form and in the chat as we're going. If you would like to leave a voicemail for next week's show, again, the phone number is 316-462-9852. If you're listening to this in podcast form, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can get our live videos, our live reactions, and things sometimes that we just spitball on the channel that don't make it into the podcast feed. And if you'd like to listen to it in the podcast feed and you only found us on YouTube, be sure to check out the Until Saturday feed um, in whatever podcast application you use and the links to all the things that you need are found in both shows descriptions for Dave Ubbin, Austin Meek. I'm Ari Wasserman. Thank you so much for joining us and we will catch you guys next week. <laughs> Bring back the turnover chain, please.